electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, John, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the state of play for stocks. The Investment Committee making big moves today in their portfolios. We're going to debate all of them. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington is managing partner at Requisite Capital Management. John Najarian's here along with Jason Snipe, the principal of Odyssey Capital Advisors. Joe Terranova, Rob Seachin, co-founder, managing partner of the New Edge Capital Group. Good to see everybody today. Let's go to the wall. Good to see stocks in the green. If you're long, Dow's up 70. Nasdaq's the big winner, up 165. That's one and a quarter percent. Why? Because all the way on the right, right? It's the same story. Bonds are up. That means yields are falling. 167 is the yield right now on the 10-year note. Joe Terranova, I teased this on Twitter that the gang's making a lot of interesting moves today. Uh, First and foremost, you. You've added now to existing positions in Apple, in Microsoft, in Alphabet. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about those, and I'm going to talk about what you sold next, so don't give that away quite yet. But big fang names plus Microsoft, you added to. Talk to me. Um, we're seeing a significant ro- rotation as it relates to momentum. I've talked about that quite a bit. The first place that is going to bottom is going to be the component of those momentum names, specifically growth technology, and with the valuation is not astronomically high, the revenue growth is consistent, and the capital allocation is present. We are now four weeks away from hearing from these mega cap technology companies about their earnings. I suspect the last quarter is going to be a very strong one. And I felt the time was now to take the other side of what has been a significant narrative in moving away from all of technology. I disagree with that. I want the established growth. I have positions in these three names, and I have no problem increasing them, which I've done here over the last three days. This is a call that these stocks in particular... The fangs, the mega cap technology stocks have become somewhat disconnected with the fundamentals, right? Um, I mean, the fundamentals have become disconnected with what the market has done. The, the stocks have pulled back down a well, lot, what- Joe. Apple's down 15.5% from, from its high. The Amazon's down 12.5% from its high. Netflix, 115 Alphabet, 55 Microsoft and Facebook, 4.3, res- respectively. Is, is that part of this call? These stocks just came down too much? Well, the, the loss of momentum became the fundamental. Uh, in the case of Apple, did we forget about the sales of iPhone 12, the introduction of this new product, which is going to be very strong? Did we forget about the fact that China is expanding and opening their economy at a very significant capacity and so on the rest of the emerging markets? So uh, the loss of momentum, that became the fundamental. And I don't like that. All right. Dan Ives over at Wedbush puts a note out today, by the way, gang on Apple calls, you know, talking about super cycle. Uh, uh, you know, it's hard to get more bullish than than that. OK, John Ajarian, now I turn to you mm-hmm. because you bought right. a lot of Facebook calls. So it's the same kind of conversation yeah. we're having. Talk to me now. Yeah, I agree. Same kind of conversation as Joe. 
Um, the Facebook calls, Scott, they were buying calls from the 290 strike, 290, 250, 295, 300, 305. I mean, everything. They were buying like crazy. You would have thought this was Reddit, and maybe it is, because many of those Reddit stocks, like GameStop and uh, AMC, Scott, are down pretty hard. But this is reminiscent of that. They are just buying, 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 and not turning them over. Uh, but it's also big institutional buying. And not to put the Reddit crowd down, but I like the big institutional buying more than I like the retail buying. But clearly, there is a call out there where people are in there buying aggressively in Facebook today. Pete talked about it already early this morning. Um, I had to join him. I owned the stock before. I'm adding a lot of Facebook calls throughout the day. And some of these calls have already doubled, Scott. So, yeah, there's a lot of upside bets being placed. And some of that is, of course, with rates down, stocks up. And people are still looking at stocks like Facebook, not just the ones you mentioned. I won't rehash it about the corrections, but Facebook is one of them that just looks like it wants to break out to new highs. All right, so that stock's at the highs of the day. The Nasdaq's at the highs of the day. Now good for 177. This takes me to a couple of different places, Joe, and I'm coming back to you for, for a reason, okay? This is looking mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. some of these mega cap techs and saying, okay, maybe they corrected too much. And now's the time to pounce, yep. even if I'm a little early, that I can deal with that. But also, by yep. virtue of your other moves, saying maybe some of these cyclical stocks came a little too far. Maybe rates are topping out, at least in the near term. And maybe that's what some of the action today says. You've sold Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and the regional bank ETF, the KRE. Take me through that. Correct. So back on February 12th, the 10-year Treasury broke above 1.2%, something that obviously had not done for multiple months. What we saw thereafter, Scott, was a 55 basis point move higher in the course of 25 trading days. That velocity is extreme by any measure. I trade risk. I focus on what exactly is my risk. During that experience, I increased my exposure to equities that were going to be sensitive to the move higher in yields. Therefore, we had these rentals for Wells Fargo and Bank of America and KRE. I still have ownership within the uh, financials, but I do not suspect that you are going to see, I'm taking the other side of this, I don't think you're going to see over the next 25 days another 55 basis point move higher as it relates to Treasury yields. So I want to pare back on that risk. That's why I got out of the financials. I did add one financial, which is MSCI. The viewers know that well from the last couple of years. My ownership, that's down 9% year to date. So I'm trading off that higher performance for a lower performance. Another name I considered with was market access. I did not buy that stock, but I think that's one that you could in that exchange of performance. Okay, so that brings me to Bryn. I turn to you because... We're talking tech versus cyclicals, recovery stocks that have run an awful lot. And the banks are part of that. And the reflation trade is rates have gone up. The bank stocks have gone up a lot, too. You sold Boeing. OK, take me through that. You sold Boeing at two hundred and seventy two dollars. There was a stretch, I think, of maybe four or five days a row in the Dow where Boeing was the best performing stock in the Dow. It was up, it seemed like three, four, five percent every single day. Maybe that was just last week, if not the week before. 
So take me through that, please. That's that's exactly it. It was up, you know, three percent probably every day. I think going back a few months, I think Brenda, Jim and I were like the only ones on the desk buying Boeing, you know, below 200. And it was like the ultimate value trade. But there's a lot of hair on Boeing. And I think that, you know, going from below like 190s to 270, it was a good trade. I rented the name. But I think as it gets closer to 300, which is where it wants to go technically, I think it's going to have to start delivering. And I still think they have a lot of debt. And as these reopening names, but Boeing in particular, I don't know, is Boeing like GE before Culp came in or is Boeing going to ride it, ride itself and move back up over 300? I just wanted to take my chips and go home and had a great trade in Boeing. So it was nothing, nothing more than that. This is a be very specific kind of market. Just because you're selling one recovery stock doesn't mean that you may not like any of the others because you are buying Norwegian Cruise Line and Spirit Airlines. So take me through those two. So if you look at the airlines, and once again, I'm renting these names as, as well. I'm much more of a secular growth of the Qs or Momentum or, or something like an ARC, but I'm renting these names as reopening. And if you look at Southwest and Alaska Air, they're well over their January 2020 highs and so their 2020 levels. And so Spirit Airlines is the cheaper version of Southwest Airlines. I think the stock has about 20, 25% upside from here as the recovery starts. They're gonna be a US Airlines, North American, they go into Mexico and the Caribbean. And then Norwegian, I think, is once again another reopening trade that can move closer. I don't know if it gets to its January 2020 highs, which is in the in the 50s, but I think it's a good entry point here. Obviously, if you took more risk earlier last year, you could have bought it a lot cheaper. But I think people are getting vaccinated. There's a whole contingency of people that love cruise lines, and those people are getting vaccinated every day. And I think there's going to be a return to that sooner than later. So once again, very specific names um, that I bought and sold. Which takes me to Rob Seachin, um, who, despite the NASDAQ 100 having its obvious issues with higher rates, you've bought Applied Materials and Lamb Research You've also bought a few financial stocks, Jefferies, Evercore, ISI. But talk to me about those and how they fit into the mix now. Well, I would start by saying that uh, I agree with everything that, that, that Joe said. We are long a lot of what he talked about, partly because these companies aren't that sensitive to moves in rates because they don't rely on debt financing. So the Apples and, and the Microsofts and the kind of quality tech companies. So we own all those. But we're looking to diversify within this in cyclicality. And when we look at our quality growth portfolio, we've added both AMAT and LAM. Um, you have a great uh, semiconductor spending environment, which should continue throughout the end of the year. And these multiples have not gotten too high. So we want to leverage cyclicality in that portfolio. And then in our dividend-oriented portfolios, we own companies like JP Morgan. They're a little more expensive, but we've gone down cap a little bit into the more uh, sensitive areas of the market with greater exposure to to rising rates and capital markets activity. And both Jefferies and Evercore jumped to the front of the line in that regard. And so um, it's a matter of holding your quality growth, improving the quality within parts of your portfolio in the large cap segments, and then also improving the cyclicality. We're not chasing the really growthy growth companies that are out there. In fact, probably the highest multiple company we have in our portfolio Portfolios of CRM, uh, Salesforce. So uh, that's the way we've been playing it within our equity portfolios. Very interesting moves from everybody. I turn to Jason Snipe. You have a new name as well. 
We're not going to talk about it now, however. We're going to wait a little bit later. We're going to do that. What I want you to do for me is tell me about MKM today saying that the NASDAQ 100 correction is not over. Jason, so I've got all these people buying some of these big stocks. They say, oh, they've come down a lot. MKM says mm, not over yet. Jim Cramer this morning said, yeah, Apple is down a lot, but it's not down enough. Not enough. So what side do you come down on? Yeah, so great points from everyone, and, I, and, and I'd agree to a large extent. Uh, what I will say is, listen, the 10-year has moved up almost 90% uh, in the first quarter. We're not even done the first quarter yet. Um, we're expecting GDP growth of 6.5%. We're expecting unemployment to drop to 4.5%. Clearly, the Fed is letting inflation run hot. They're focused on the labor market. So I do feel as though market uh, rates will continue to move. Um, and, and the barbell approach is their approach here. I think the inflationary trade is still on. Obviously, it's moved quite a bit since November. But I can see, you know, some some continued capital investments into the kind of the uh, the growth names, the established growth names that I think do continue to make sense. But I haven't I, I still think the inflationary and value trade is still on. So you and it's something that we're still. Focused so when on. you say you think rates can still move, you're, you're talking about move higher. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think they're. Rates can easily get to 2%, you know, by the end of the third quarter. So, um, and that, that has so much to do with, you know, the, the market reopening. Obviously, uh, the, the distribution of the vaccine has gone better than expected. You know, two and a half million doses a day. I think these are all catalysts for uh, rates to move higher. Okay. Houston, we got a problem, right? If Jason says rates are going to move higher, I've got to go down to Houston now to Bryn. Because, Bryn, you own the ARC ETF, <laughs> Right. <laughs> We've got these high-flying stocks in there that are trading at massive multiples. CrowdStrike is 720 times forward PE. Datadog 665. Escaler 500. I mean, I'm getting like nauseous talking about these things. Look at the—I mean, the valuations are enormous. So, what Bryn then do you do with these stocks? Yeah, well, you know, I've talked about many times how you know our our our, our leg into ARKK. And, and, and the reason why we invested with Kathy Wood to begin with. And I think it goes back to, you know, that strategy is buying very specific names. And so, you know, ARKK, I don't think owns Peloton, right? And so they own very specific names. And I don't believe that we're going to some new inflationary period that goes back to like the 70s or anything even remote. I mean, the Fed has said that GDP should be six and a half percent this year. In 2022, 3%, and then 2023, around 2.5%. So I'm going to stick with Jay Powell and not fight the Fed. And so I think you have this hiccup here. You know, those individual names had incredible years last year. I mean, Tesla was up, what, 800% last year? Those stocks could do nothing for a long period of time. I mean, one year and just digest, and you still want to own them long term. So. I, I totally get those valuations are really high, and I think you have this sentiment shift. I think it's still happening. I think you're still going to have weakness in the arcs of the world, the cues of the world. But I own them. I'm own them, owning them for the long term, and I'll definitely, once again, like I said before, buy all of them on weakness. Have you done that to this point? Because there's been a lot of weakness in the arc funds. Yeah, I haven't yet. You know, it hit 106 for like a millisecond, right? Literally, it like touched 106, and there was. I was I didn't buy it then, but I definitely will if it if it sits there and settles. I just I you know, if you think about like the Tesla's of the world or the Zillow's, 
you know, she's buying visionaries, and I want to I want to invest with the Jennifer Dudens of the world, the Elon Musks of the world, and I don't have the ability to go put that portfolio and monitor it myself. So. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buckle up and sit with it because I feel like a few years from now, it'll be much higher than where it is today. So, But I'll let you know as soon as I buy some more. Oh, please do. <laughs> Inquiring minds definitely want to know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Scotty, could I make a comment on that just yeah. to echo some of that? Yeah. So I think one of the things that's interesting on the move in rates is uh, when we had the first big move in rates, VIX spiked quite a bit. When we had the, when we had the second move here recently, VIX was very subdued. And I think that's a great example of markets desensitizing to a front burner issue after it's a front burner issue long enough. I'm not saying that if we had a a, a derivative move in in rates that was that the, the the delta was rapid that we wouldn't see another scare. But my sense is markets climb walls of worry. This is a worry. Inflation is a worry. Change in tax policy will be a worry. But as we talk about them, markets typically climb those walls of worry if they're not true, too dramatic and if they're for the right reasons. And my sense is we're going to see the reopening trade overpower all of these worries and all of these risks. That's that's how we're okay. betting. And so we're using this volatility based on rates, based on inflation, based on potential tax changes to add to our positions. And Doc, you must be taking the other side of that because just the other day, you said the market could have a huge correction if rates continue to rise and get even closer to 2%, right? You, do you stand by right. that view and, still? Oh, I do, Scott. Um, but, um, and here's the caveat, uh, if indeed we get um, an end of the third quarter 2%, which has been suggested during our discussion right here, Um, then I'm not so worried about it, Scott. I'm only worried about it if it happens fast. Um, If it happens fast, it drives people to the sidelines, and then the bears can take over for a while. Not for the whole year, just for a while. Enough to do some psychological damage to some of the folks in those names that, again, you've talked about that are most likely to be hit hard in the tech sector. But if we, you know, manage our way towards 2% through the end of the third quarter, I'm fine, Scott. I think the market will be fine with that. Just not 175, 185, 195 in a matter of weeks. That's the kind of move that would really drive people to the sidelines for a while. Because, Rob, I mean, you're, you're sort of brushing off a lot of concerns there, right? You've got to have rates go up. And, I mean, the market's going to have an adjustment regardless of whether they're going up for the right reason or not. And Goldman's David Costin today was writing about tax policy. Those are the other rates that investors probably need to be concerned mm-hmm. about, too, and maybe haven't even focused on one iota because we've been all over stimulus and thinking about that. And then we've been fixated on interest rates and, and the reopen and all of that. But if you start having a serious conversation, Rob, about a change in tax policy in this country... Stock market's going to react to that, too. It's not just going to blow it off. It depends on the specifics, and, and you know it will react to it. My, my point was not that markets won't react. Markets will react. They always react. It's episodic. And does it have enough power to kind of offset the trajectory? You know, Lewis Bacon always used to say, we operate in these zones where markets move up and down within a band, and then something comes along to knock us into a different atmosphere. I'm going to tell you that I don't think any of these topics, except maybe taxes, depending on the magnitude of the proposal, 
right? But if it's within the realm of reason, and I have no reason to suspect that the, the new administration is going to want to do anything to hurt the economy, yes, there's going to be a change. It's the magnitude of the change. And if these magna, if the magnitude's measured, markets will desensitize to them, and you should buy those dips. And I'm telling you that the cyclical trades coupled with quality growth trades are where to be. I do not want to be overweight uh, fixed income. I do not want to be overweight cash. Where I want to be overweight is quality equities at a reasonable price. Okay. So, Jason Snipe, um, Masco, a new buy for you. Where does that fit into our conversation? Yeah, so for me, Masco, you know, we really like the, uh, the home improvement, the building uh, trade, continue to like it. You know, we own Lowe's. We own, we own Home Depot. We own DR, DR Horton. And Masco is is a strong supplier, you know, of, of Home Depot as well as as well as Lowe's. They've just kind of restructured their debt, lowered their interest rate payments, and they also just sold off their cabinets business as well as the window business, which is kind of removing a little bit of cyclicality out of out of their firm. So we like the name. We think we think housing will continue to to grow here, even with interest rates moving. You know, so we decided to add some additional capital there. Okay. So from housing to autos, Joe Terranova buys General Motors. Must have been talking to Steve Weiss and Farmer Jim a lot offline. <laughs> Joe? Don't tell me Joe's frozen. Oh, man. I mean, the moment to freeze right now. Really? All right. Bryn, you bought Roblox, which kind of surprises me when talking about some of these high-flying names. You bought it at 72, and it's a new position. Short-term, long-term, rental, own, what, what's the story? Definitely not a rental. Well, this is a own ownership. It's a new position. So what Roblox, and I know you all had Brash Gershner on talking a lot about it, but mm -hmm. I'll just give a quick re -black, re -re recap, is that, you know, Roblox is trying to create this we'll say Ready Player One version, which other companies are trying to do. We're not there yet. But I think what's so interesting about Roblox is they use the developers and the players to actually create content on the platform, which they get paid for. And it's the number one platform content for 18 and under. And I think that there is no other company in the gaming sector like this that's publicly traded. And so, you know, their comps from 20, their, their comps will be difficult, which they've already said going forward, because last year was a huge banner year. Everyone was at home, but I wanted to own it as an initial position. And we'll see what happens over the next few quarters, how their earnings come out, how they do as a publicly traded company. And I'll definitely look to be adding more. And hopefully it goes down a little bit and I can add a little bit more cheaper. But it's definitely a new position for a long term hold. Okay, interesting stuff there. Uh, Mr. Freeze, I'm told you're back with us. Now, did you hear my setup for General Motors? <laughs> or were you frozen for that as well? Not only did I hear it, I was talking to myself for a very long period of time. I think I could just get in the car and jump over the GW, get, get over the GW bridge faster. But anyway, General days. Motors, absolutely. I think, I think everyone in the entire halftime universe owns General Motors. I've been talking about getting into General Motors. They have seen a dramatic pivot, obviously, in the strategy. Everyone's done a great job of communicating that. Um, I'm finally in this trade. I'm going to hold it for the long term. You sold uh, Pinduoduo, which I think you asked Gerstner about when, when he was mm. on with us a, a few weeks back. Um, talk to me about that one. Yeah, I got stopped out. Risk management. Uh, a lot of times when I sell something like that, it is predicated on risk management. I still fundamentally believe in the story. I think Brad is right about what he sees for the vision of this company as an online merchant. 
in China. But unfortunately, this is a stock that was 210 just five weeks ago. Then last Wednesday, you had a print of 165. We're trading below 140 today. Uh, proper risk management. Sometimes you have to cut your losses. That's what happened here. Let's go through another one just in case you, you freeze up again. Sure. Um, you, own, yeah. you own Pinterest. Okay, the stock got downgraded today. And for those who, who own it, yeah. um, what, what, do you, what do you tell them? Downgraded to neutral Bank of America. The price target gets cut to 78 from 94. So in general, I don't like these technology names that have these high valuations towards triple digits. And the uh, Pinterest is a little bit lower. It's somewhere in the mid-80s. But I like the Pinterest story. I like the social media platform that it is. I was talking with Patty our producer, about how this is kind of like LinkedIn a couple of years ago. And I think someone, whether it's a Microsoft or someone else in, in mega cap technology, they're going to look at this and realize the, the, the prevalence of good that comes from this platform. This is not the, the cesspool of Twitter or other platforms. This is a platform where advertisers want to be there. They could connect with the end user. The growth of e-commerce is real. 400 monthly active users for this company and astronomical international growth of close to 50%. It's a name I'm going to hold. I disagree with the call. I heard Jim Cramer this morning saying he didn't like Pinterest here. I'm sorry, Jim. I think Pinterest is the name you want to hold. It's the next LinkedIn. Wow. Okay. Uh, maybe Kramer will weigh in on Twitter what he thinks about you saying that. All right. The uh, Bank of America also sure. downgraded. I'm trying to, I always try to stir it up. Snap got downgraded. Sure. At Bank of America, John, you own Snap Calls. Yeah, I, I think this one is one that you want to buy on dips for sure, Scott. Um, millennials, they use this still. Millennials are not on Facebook. Uh, they might be using WhatsApp and Instagram, but they're not on Facebook, Scott. They're on Snapchat, which is, of course, the company under Snap. And that's why I think you want to own this one, to reach that audience you have to be on that. Um, so I'm comfortable holding this one. Um, I've written upside calls against the calls that I already own. And I don't think you get much of a dip. But if it does uh, give you a nice opportunity, I think people should buy it. OK, let me take this quick opportunity too to remind you of a special guest we have coming up with us tomorrow. It is the anniversary of the COVID low for stocks. Ricky Sandler of Eminence Capital is back with Ooh. us. Remember, he was with us on March 16th of 2020, right? Seven days before the mm -hmm. low in stocks, said he was buying a lot of stocks at that time. And here's what he told us then about why. We will have pent up demand. We will have massive fiscal stimulus. We will have lower interest rates and lower oil. I would argue business and, and the market could make new highs from that. Now, against the backdrop of that, you have tons of stocks down 50% that are really good companies. So this is an opportunity. Big opportunity he saw then. He will be back with us tomorrow. Can't wait for that. He'll tell us exactly what he thinks now, how he's positioned. We'll talk about some of the stocks and sectors he likes as well. Up next, a retail stock was just named a top pick at one firm. There's the mystery chart. You see it's up better than 100% over a year. We're going to debate that. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. 
which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Georgia Republican Jody Heiss is running against the fellow Republican who certified that former President Trump lost Georgia in the 2020 election. And he's doing it with Trump's endorsement. He's going after the seat of Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. A former Federal Reserve employee has pleaded guilty to stealing information on how the Fed conducts bank stress tests. Megatesh Rao admitted to stealing more than 50 documents, and he faces up to a year in prison. Japanese prosecutors have charged two Americans with helping in the escape of former Nissan chairman Carlos Ghosn to Lebanon. They were extradited from the U.S. earlier this month. And massive flooding in Australia there has isolated dozens of towns and also forced thousands of people to evacuate. The rain is expected to continue through Wednesday. You might remember just a year ago that same region was ravaged by wildfires following years of drought. Tough images there, Scott. I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you for that. I'll be back to you in just a moment. First, though, Nike named a top pick at UBS today, the firm maintaining its buy rating. They say Nike's earnings momentum has very likely not peaked. It's our call of the day. Joe, I go back to you. Um, You own that stock. So you think that some of the supply chain issues can be figured out and the stock's going to bounce back? Yes, I think the inventory issues will be remedied. I think investors need to focus on the gross margin expansion, which is significant and will continue to push higher. You're also going to have at some point the reopening here in Europe, which is going to benefit uh, Nike as well. But there's just been this structural change about Nike, where not only have we gone from wholesale to direct to consumer, but we've also got this focus now on health, on wealth, this, and on casual wear. And I think that's where the, the fundamental and technical strength of momentum will continue to push Nike higher. I'm staying with it. Doc, you own Nike calls. You, you made some you know, action in there. You sold calls against your calls. Can you tell the viewers why? Mm-hmm. Sure. Last Thursday, Scott, when I was on just ahead of the earnings, we said that people had been buying Um, with the stock at 136 and 137. And then the stock had made that move up to 144. And we said the interesting thing is they're not buying upside calls after that move. This was ahead of the earnings. So we sold at the money calls, those 145 calls. Um, I'm still in that position right now, Scott, the 145s against the 135s and 137s that I owned. So I like it. I think this call is correct, and I think that this is one of those companies that still has, just like Joe said, um, when you look at health and so forth, uh, a lot of people look at the Apple Watch as part of that. Nike is also part of this ecosystem, uh, not with Apple, but separately, of course, and I think that that focus on health is going to continue to benefit them. So, yeah, at 136, 137, I think it goes right back to work over 140 in the coming weeks. Yeah, it's been a monster. I mean, it's been a double over the past 12 months. And the stock's about 10 bucks, right, um, literally 10 bucks exactly off of its um, 52-week high. Obviously, it hasn't done that much Mm -hmm. lately, and it was a disappointment in terms of stock performance off of the earnings. Let me get back to Rahel now. She's back with us 
with some more of the big calls on the street today. Hello. Hey, Scott. So with New York likely to legalize online sports betting next week, Loop Capital suggests by DraftKings it's naming the stock a top pick. The note points out, Scott, there's a potential $3 billion market opportunity in New York and that it should be a less competitive space than New Jersey. That's because of the way the two states issue licenses, which, Scott, could ultimately see fewer brands offered in New York, giving consumers less choice. Uh, The stock is lower today, but still up more than 500 percent in the past 12 months and more than 50 percent so far this year. Also, Dollar General goes to outperform at Evercore. So the base case jumps $15 to $220 a share. The stock is trading at a 20 percent discount to the S&P. And analysts say that company guidance is conservative. It also notes two components of the stimulus bill that didn't get much publicity that they expect to likely benefit Dollar General. $4 billion more in SNAP aid or food stamps than previously expected and the expanded child tax credit. I'll send it back to you, Scott. All right, Rahel, thank you uh, for all of that for us. Okay, Jason Snipe, let's begin where Rahel ended, Dollar General. You bought more of that stock. It's a new buy. I did. And, uh, you know, obviously I completely agree with Evercall. Evercore's call here, um, you know, there was some softness in the stock, you know, in the past couple of weeks, you know, it's down about 12 percent over, over the past month. Um, you know, I think they'll, this is a huge COVID winner, you know, uh, last year. And I think that they'll truly benefit from fiscal stimulus coming. Um, and, and I think that they've, they've also spent some, you know, good amount of capital investing in their logistics business as well. And with their exposure to rural America, I think, I think this is will continue to go up from here. Okay. Dr. J, you own DraftKings calls, correct, still? Correct, Scott. Um, love the call by loop. Um, I continue to think that this one benefits from, uh, you know, as as you roll out online gaming across the country and virtually every jurisdiction um, is going to be making those moves over the next uh, 12 to 24 months, Scott, that is going to benefit these guys in spades. Same thing with Penn Gaming um, because of their tie in with Dave Portnoy and the Barstool guys. But I think this one um, is one you do not want to bet against, and the pun is intended. Yeah, all right, good stuff. Doc, thank you. Coming up, John's got unusual activity, plus the big ETFs you need to watch today. And as we go to break, let's show you the S&P sectors. S&P, highs of the day, 30 points, three-quarters of a percent, led by tech. No big surprise there with that move lower in interest rates. We're back after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. Interest rates are rising, the economy is recovering, and everyone who is holding on to high-yield bond funds wants to know 
what to do with them. Let's ask the experts. Steve Lapley is U.S. head of iShares Fixed Income ETFs. Isaac Braley is the president of BTS Management. He trades high-yield ETFs for clients. Steve, you oversee the iShares high-yield ETF. That's the symbol HYG. It's the biggest high-yield fund in the world. What impact will higher rates have on high-yield funds? Well, Bob, thanks for having me. Um, Traditionally, high yield has proven to be fairly resilient to increases in interest rates, and this year we're seeing very much the same thing. Uh, So far, high yield is outperforming uh, the broad fixed income market by around 3%, um, and investment-grade corporates by uh, upwards of 5%. So that uh, that trend continues um, away from increases in interest rates. Um, fundamentals in high yield are actually improving. We're seeing default rates fall and we're seeing uh, upgrades outpace downgrades. So investors still need income and and high yield still looks fairly attractive. You know, Isaac, uh, the high yield funds have held up relatively well under the theory that the Fed has pumped so much money into the economy that it is effectively ring fencing some of the weaker companies that have issued high yield debt. Companies that normally would have been in a lot of trouble during that downturn. Is that correct? And when might the Fed's protection of those companies effectively end? Yeah, I, I think from a trend of momentum standpoint, we've seen some weakness lately. With the, with the Fed really backing as they are, we've seen most of that price happen already. I mean, you've seen huge reductions uh, in spreads at this point in time. The Teslas, the Fords, the Carnivals of the world, all now paying significantly lower yields, having Tesla paying yields around 23 a lot of that is currently priced in. And I think currently high yields are not that attractive. There's still great fundamentals going forward. We think by the year end, we're in a much better place. But a lot of the meat has been taken off the bone at this point in time. And you really need to be watching them very closely. All right, gentlemen, thank you. Tune in at 1 p.m. Eastern time for our in-depth look at high yield investing. Much more from Steve and Isaac, who will be joined by John Davi from CIO of Astoria Portfolio Advisors. He'll also, by the way, be updating us on the status of the Bitcoin ETF. That's in the news also. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime returns right after this. Unusual activity time. Dr. J, that means you're up. All right, Scott. Uh, When you've got uh, tomorrow's newspaper today, you can make some interesting trades, and it appears people are doing something like that, Scott, because inbox... Uh, this morning with the stock at 22.30 or thereabouts, they started buying calls, upside calls, April 24 calls. And just before we came on air, Starboard allegedly is really putting pressure on Box to explore a sale of the company. Um, that's according to Trade the News. So the stock is running right now. These calls, they bought over 10,000 of these calls early on. Now the stock has moved through 24 and pushing higher. Like I say, that news just coming out about Starboard. I think they're about an 8% holder of shares, Scott. So I'll be in those maybe just, not just even the full two right, or three Doc? weeks. That, just yep, a coincidence. Just a coincidence, Scott. Yep. Uh, yeah, this, right. I'll probably be in those a short period of time because of that. Um, the second one, Scott, um, is what's going on right now in QuantumScape. This is a Kathy Wood favorite, of course. She talked about it years ago. Now it's a 60-some-odd dollar stock. They're buying the 80 calls um, in this one with the stock moving up from 58 to 61. Uh, watch this one. Also, April, both of these two uh, call purchases were April. Um, I'm not going to buy something that far out of the money, Scott. 
but I did buy at the monies and sold higher strikes against it. Probably be in them about three weeks. Now let me just go back to the boxing real quick, not to put you on the spot or anything, but you mm-hmm. must have insight into this. Sure. I mean, you know, come on. I mean, there's like a lot of there's like a huge amount of call buying in, in this in the stock. You know, a day or so before a report mm-hmm. comes out that the company's considering putting itself up for sale because it's being pressured by an activist, and we're all supposed to just take that at face value, Doc? <laughs> I mean, well, um, I. I, I I suspect, Scott, that somebody that knew that Starboard was going to pressure this board and the owners are the uh, people that run the company, not the owners, that's the shareholders, but they were going to pressure them to explore a sale. If you knew that news was coming out, yeah, you've got tomorrow's newspaper today. You could make some money off of that. Um, Whoever leaked that, because I don't know that Starboard did, but whoever leaked that, that's interesting news and it's valuable. Um, It's not from the company. It's from a buyer. Again, somebody that owns a large chunk of the company. Yeah, I don't know. I just makes me look at that like, yeah, right. Yeah, it makes things that make you say, hmm. Yeah. All right, Doc. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Let's answer your questions now. Bryn, you're up first. John in Long Island. Hey, guys. Love the show. Wanted to see how you guys feel about Macy's. It's up 30% over the past month. Stimulus, more people coming out and going shopping again. I feel the stock has more room to run. Do you agree? Bryn. I don't own Macy's. They had really good fourth quarter numbers. 44% of their sales came from online. Um, And a lot of people picked them up at the store, so they seem to be doing good on curbside. That being said, I do think it has some long-term secular challenges, but I think it's a good reopening trade, so I think it has room to run from here. Okay. Jason, to you, Shamshi in New York wants to know the better buy right now, Costco or Walmart? What do you think? So this is a good question. I think both have obviously underperformed the S&P recently, but I'm going to go with Costco here, uh, you know, $52 billion in revenue from their signature brand, Kirkland. I think there's continued upside from here. Okay. Uh, Joe, to you. Uh, Mary Lou Pereira wants to know, uh, hi, Joe. Ulta, I got crushed back when you did long ago. I held it, came all the way back, and then I got (laughs) crushed again. All right. What do you do now? What do you do now, Joe? I, th- I think you hold it. What, what, what she's referencing was August 29th of 2019. The stock was 337. Next day, it goes down to 237. It takes 18 months to recover. 2021 is a transition year for this, but I think the story is still intact to own this. They've got the partnership with Target. They're going to be opening 100 stores. I heard Courtney Gibson on the network talking about this. She really eloquently explained why you want to be a long-term holder of Ulta, and that's what I suggest you should be doing right here. I don't own it. I'm never going to go back in the name after incurring that type of a big loss. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Rob Seachin, to you, Diogo in Portugal wants to know, what's your favorite undervalued stock right now? Oh, we like the energy industry. As you know, I would have to say Schlumberger. Um, they're a leader in digitization and modernization of the energy platform. Uh, responding to uh, to climate change. They have the best efficiency in the industry, an incredible uh, geographic footprint, and plus they traded a significant discount uh, to their enterprise values. So I like Schlumberger. Okay, good. Thank you. Thanks for the questions. Thanks for the answers. The 10-year yield, as we said, it's pulling back after hitting 14-month highs last week. We've got that trade coming up next on The Half. Let's do the futures outlook now. The 10-year yield is ticking lower today on the back of some comments from Fed Chair Jerome Powell this morning. Let's bring in Scott Nations with more on how to play that move. It's good to see you. Where's the momentum? I mean, 
we know which way it was going. Now, is it broken now or right. what? Uh, Scott, I actually think that what's going on, part of what's going on is what's going on in Turkey. You know, it's never a good thing when traders have to look at a map to figure out what the news says. And right now we see this policy turmoil, uh, monetary policy turmoil in Turkey. And if you think this can't spread, then think about what happened in 1997 when problems in Thailand spread across the region, spread to Russia, spread here. That said, Scott, and you have to watch this. You have to watch for contagion. But given that, the fundamentals are still really bad for bond prices. They are. We have, we have strong growth. We have inflation. And this week, we're going to have huge supply. So this is a little bit of a rally to fade. And I would be a seller of the June 10-year contract, 131.16. Once I'm short, my target would be 130 even. That would be a new low. My stop, and we're always going to trade these with a stop, 132 even. In the 10-year note futures, it's $1,000 per point, so we're risking $500 to make three times that. Got it. Thanks for the trade. Appreciate it, Scott Nations. We'll take a quick break here. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right, another reminder. Tomorrow, the anniversary of the COVID low for stocks. That man right there, Eminence Capital's Ricky Sandler, with me here on the Halftime Report, 12 Eastern. Looking forward to that. Let's do final trades. Jason Snipe, you are up first. So for me, I like I like Abby V here. Uh, I like that acquisition of Allergan, five percent yield. I think it moves higher from here. Okay, good to see you, Bryn. Roku. For those of you looking for more of an aggressive trade, the technicals look great. They are the number one stock in streaming, and it's twenty six percent off its high. So I think if tech runs, it'll have more room to go higher. Okay, Joe, turning to you. Um, you gave a little bit of a jolt to tech today, adding to Microsoft, Apple, Alphabet, Nasdaq's up two twenty two. Lead us with uh, leave us with a final trade. I'll give you a technology trade. I got out of my SMH and I went into Lamb Research. They are the leader in foundry and memory, both very strong segments. All right, Doc, you as well on that Facebook deal. Uh, Scott, I'm buying, I'm trying to get into uh, JB Hunt, JBHT, mm, okay. seeing unusual activity there, trying to buy it. All right, Rob Seachin, last to you. TLT, it's, it's opposite of what everybody thinks, has gotten killed by rising rate fears, but we think tech support and easy Fed policy will save the day for okay. this ETF just to trade, though. Thanks, everybody. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now... It's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.